We're continuing in our series in the book of Luke, Luke 3, verses 1 through 20. This is God's holy word for us today. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the, word, in the, book of, uh, the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? And he answered them, whoever has two tunics to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than you're authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, and what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort from anyone, money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be content with your wages. As the people were in expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So, with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch who had been brewed by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, that he locked up John in prison. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you give us your word to teach us. Lord, would you instruct us? Would you help us see you, how to respond to you? God, I pray that your word would be made alive to each and every one of us, that you would empower all of us to receive your word by your spirit and, and enable me to preach your word by the empowering of your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when I was a, a really young boy, I discovered the writings of C.S. Lewis, and probably my favorite books still are his Chronicles of Narnia. 
I know that they are kind of kids' books, but really they are timeless classics, and they, they deliver wonderful truths in these allegorical ways that just enliven the heart. And I love the very first book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And there's this beautiful scene that unfolds after the children. They go and they find Mr. and Mrs. Beaver. And if you've not read the books, there are, there are a series of talking animals. There's people involved. And, and, and all the books are looking forward to something, and in the first book, Mr. Beaver, he invites the children in, he gives them a meal, and then he tells them about how the white witch has corrupted everything, and she's frozen the lands, and she's made everything bad, and, and she's probably turned this Mr. Tumnus, who they met earlier, into stone, and in fact, she turns many into stone and keeps them in her castle. But then he says, but there's hope because Aslan is coming. And then he tells them of how Aslan is this lion, this rightful king, and, and how there has been this, this whispering, this, this, the world uh, has awakened in, in hearing that Aslan is coming. When, and there's good news, it, it creates and it stirs up a response in all the creatures, and they're longing for, they're looking for Aslan because he's on the move, he's on his way. And when he comes, Mr. Beaver tells, he's going to dispel darkness. He's going to do away with the white witch. He's going to turn all of winter into spring. He's going to defeat our enemies. And when he comes, he's going to make all things right. He's going to banish winter, defeat the queen. And Lucy wonders, is he a tame lion? He says, no, but he is good. And it creates fear in their brother Edmund, who's already tasted of the sweets of the queen, and so he slips out. And from that moment on, though, there's this growing anticipation of this coming king, and that goes throughout the series. I think C.S. Lewis must have been reflecting on what it would have been like for people who are anticipating the coming of the king. Maybe he was reflecting on John and how it had been 400 years. And that's the scene into which John the Baptist was born. The first prophetic words uttered in, in the entire New Testament after 400 years of darkness was the words of the coming of John who would prepare the way for the coming king. And now these, these really are the first words that you hear John speaking. Really, it's not the first words of John, it's, it's the first words of, of God and their stirrings that the king is coming. And he sent John now to prepare the way for the coming of the king. And when the king comes, everything's going to be different. And that's what John effectively says. He's far mightier than me, and when he comes, he's going to change everything. And John, he came in a very specific time to very specific people. And Luke, he is writing that in the first couple of verses, not because we, we, we need a history lesson, but because he's trying to ground us in that our faith is real. John really came. He was a real prophet in time and space who spoke to a real people. And he wants his readers to be sure that this is, in fact, the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecy. This is the voice of one crying in the wilderness to prepare the way. And what John wants us to see really is there are some keys to preparing the way for the coming king. And, and, and Luke wants us to see that. And so he, he tells really of three different ways that John is preparing the way. His message 
prepares the way for the coming of the king. And the first thing that we see is that preparing for the Christ, preparing for the anointed one, it requires repentance. And that's John's message. He is telling them, preparing for the coming Christ. Christ is coming. The the anointed one is coming. And you need to be ready. You need to be prepared for his coming because it requires repentance. And that's what Luke writes in in verse 3. He says he went to all the region around Jordan proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. He went all throughout the whole Jordan Valley. And his primary message was that repentance was required to prepare for the coming of the king. Get ready, is what he was telling the people. Get ready. The king is coming. And when he comes, he comes to those who are repentant. The king will come and find you a friend for those who have a heart that is turned and tuned towards him, that's repentant, that seeks and looks to him, looks for him to come. John, though, he is a little shocking in his message. You see, back in that day, the the Jews had this practice where some Gentile proselytes who wanted to convert to Judaism, they would would have to come and go through certain kind of rites, and then they'd go through different cleansing rituals, and then the culmination of that is they would be baptized to show that they needed to be cleansed from all their past and that they were putting their faith in God. John is a little shocking in his message because he says, this isn't all about Gentiles needing to be purified. Everyone, no matter your background, needs to be purified. And so he came preaching a message of repentance for the forgiveness of sins and the evidence of which is baptism. And so he goes and he cries out. He says, make straight the way of the Lord. And it's in fulfillment. Luke is telling us of Isaiah's prophecy where he is preparing. He is trying to fill those valleys, encourage those hearts who need to hear. He's, he, is, he is making every mountain and every hill low. So he is decimating people who were proud in their hearts, preparing the way to receive the Messiah. He's leveling out the path. He is creating a highway in people's hearts for all flesh to be able to see that salvation is coming in the king. He's preparing the way. But in order to prepare the way, repentance is required. And that's really the same for everyone who comes to see the king today. That anyone who wants to receive the king, anyone who wants the king to look on them as friend, we, we, we prepare our hearts by repenting first. Seeing that we need to repent. That we're sinful. Acknowledging our need for him. Acknowledging that, that we're sinful in every way. That we are unable to live life on our own apart from the king and we need him to forgive us. And so it begins with a repentant heart receiving the king. Luke tells us the crowds that came out, they responded to this message. And, and Luke gives them, uh, I mean, John gives them a really soft message. He says, you brood of vipers. How could you imagine if you came in first thing on Sunday morning and you were coming here expecting to worship and I said, you brood of vipers, you spawn of serpents. I mean, that's what he's saying. You children of serpents. What are you doing? Who warned you to repent? Who warned you to flee the wrath to come? You're like snakes when the fire comes and you come out and really you're just fleeing the wrath and you're really not wanting to turn. I don't know that that message would be well received. That's not really a feel-good message on Sunday mornings, right? It's not what you'd expect and yet 
John shockingly tells these people who actually are coming to be baptized, he says, you're a brood of vipers. And I think what he's doing is he's provoking them to say, are, is your repentance real? Are you just wanting to get, to, to get away from the fire of God, from the wrath of God? Are you just wanting to, to walk the aisle, to pray a prayer? Are you just wanting to go through the rites without really any heart change happening? Because he says, if that's the case, then it's like you're the spawn of vipers. You think, whoa, John, you're a little hard, man. They're, they're seekers, aren't they? Because no, God, true repentance is really not all about externals. They wanted to get their stamp of approval. They wanted to go through the rites. They wanted to get, to get their forgiveness so they could be okay with God. But there was just one problem. God knew their hearts. And so John spoke prophetically to their hearts. And I, I think this would be a prophetic word that, that a lot of us in the South need to hear. A lot of neighbors in the South need to hear. This is not about getting your stamp of approval for God. This is not about when you prayed a prayer when you were a kid. This is not about what you've done in the past, whether you were baptized as a baby or baptized as a 10-year-old. This is not about ritual. God wants your heart. It's not just about believing the right and good things. You see, these people were Jews, and they believed what John was saying. They believed in God. They believed the right things. They even believed that they were sinful. Some of them weren't willing to make any major life changes. They weren't willing to repent with more than just mere words. And so John really corrects them. And then he gives us, he, he, Luke, Luke kind of gives us this second reality of what John is, is trying to communicate. It's that preparing the way of Christ, it requires repentance that bears fruit. It requires not just repentance, but repentance that's seen in actual fruit. Repentance that's fruitful. You know, one of our, our kids, when they were little, they knew that they were not supposed to color on anything but paper. But like most kids, they discovered crayons can be used in lots of places. And so one of our children, when they were three years old, they just decided to start coloring on the wall in their kitchen. And so Julie comes in and this child is coloring on the wall. And Julie's like, what are you doing? And they turn around in tears, and I'm coloring on the wall. And they keep coloring. And so Julie, like any good mom, pulled her phone out, thought it was funny. And she videotaped it and, and sent it to me, or videotaped, I mean, I'm sorry, you saw how old I am. Uh, she, she recorded it and sent it to me, and I just thought it was funny. That's really just, it's just what we're like as humans. She was, sorry, our daughter, our child was upset because they were caught, but they didn't stop what they were doing. They kept going. They were just upset that they were caught. They weren't actually willing to change. They still wanted to do the things they were doing. And John says, that's kind of the human condition. It's preparing the way for Christ, receiving the Christ. When Christ comes, it doesn't just look like 
saying I'm repentant, I know that I'm, what I'm doing is wrong, it looks like bearing fruits in keeping with repentance, is what he tells us in verse 8. You see, repentance is not just a matter of confessing the right things, about having all of your doctrine right, about saying magical words or some special prayer or just admitting and confessing your sins. It's about saying, I want to now live for you, God. Committing that our lives need to be ruled by God and submitting to him. Mere conviction and acknowledgement is not enough to prepare for the coming of the king. Repentance entails actually changing our attitude and our actions. That's what he's talking about. He says bearing fruits in correspondence with our convictions. It's going to be seen in real fruit being born. And that's a message I think that often we need to talk to our kids about as well. One of the worst things that you can give is false assurance. It's not about just praying a prayer and saying, I want to be a Christian. It's about saying, am I actually pursuing a life that's repentant, that's giving over to God? It doesn't mean being perfect. We're going to get it wrong. We're going to continue to fail. We're going to continue to have fruit that's a little bit, a little bit marred. John says, it's not about how you grew up either. And so he says, don't even start with me. Don't tell me that you're Abraham's children. Don't, don't, don't tell me you're born Jewish, you're part of the covenant family, you were born into the covenant. Don't tell me you were baptized. You know, the, the, the reality is God can create children from stones. He's able to make life where there is no life. It's not about your pedigree. It's not about your past. It's not about whether you grew up Baptist, Presbyterian, Lutheran, Catholic, whatever background you have. It's not about any of that. That's irrelevant is what John's saying. Same time, your background outside of the church, no matter how bad where you came from, that's not relevant. It's all of us standing before God as individuals. And if you're trusting, though, in your pedigree or your past, or if you're trusting in, in where you've come from, or you're trusting to the Jews, he's saying, don't trust in your Jewishness. Don't trust in the fact that you were born into God's covenant people. He says, because even now the axe is being laid at the roots, he's saying, what, we're, what God is about doing is he's saying that I won't allow any confidence in anything but himself. And the crowds are really convicted. I can imagine hearing these words spoken prophetically for the first time. And, and so they're convicted. They say, well, what, what does it look like then? John, what, what is, if repentance means bearing fruit, then what does bearing fruit look like? And he tells them this, and Luke kind of lays this truth out that he says, well, preparing the way for the Christ, it, it, it becomes, requires fruitful repentance, but it's going to be really seen. Preparing, preparing for the Christ to come, it requires fruitful repentance that's really seen. You know, oftentimes people who have struggled with alcohol said, I've changed, I really have, I just, I, I just, I can't stop drinking. I don't have an alcohol problem. Or a husband who's abusing his wife and, and she leaves him and for a time and separates and, and she goes, you know, I, I, how are you doing? He goes, well, I, I've really changed, but yet he's still angry all the time and, and it doesn't see any fruit John says real repentance isn't just a matter of 
believing the right thing is saying that I'm actually changing. It's actually pursuing that change to your own detriment if necessary. And so they ask him, what should we do? And he says, he says something practical. He says three really practical things. And they all have to do with living in relationship to others. Kind of like what Jesus will later say, that, that evidence of whether we love God is going to be seen in whether we love other people. If you can love your neighbor like yourself, then that's evidence that you're loving God. And so John's answer is really three different ways of, of loving other people generously. And so the first one, he says, whoever has two tunics, and, and by the way, a tunic is, was an undergarment. And if you have two tunics, then you have one more than you have to have. Sometimes they wear a double tunic to keep warm, but he says, if you have two tunics, if you have enough and a little more, share with the person who doesn't have a tunic. And if you have food, enough for you and a little more, share with him who has likewise. He starts really small in really simple ways, really practical, personal ways. And what he's saying is share from your basic necessities. Be willing to say, am I willing to share and not keep to myself? That's a hard message. He's not talking about a lot of extra. He's talking about willing to give up what you see as needs. Sharing from the fundamental necessities of life. That's how the disciples and the apostles lived in the early church to begin with. They, they shared with whoever had need. It was an evidence that they'd been born again. And then he, he goes to the tax collectors and he, he tells them, he says, when they say, what should we do? And he, he says, collect no more than you're authorized to do, which would have been a radical message. Doesn't sound radical to us, but in that day they would auction off positions to be these kind of subcontractors to the tax collectors because most of the tax collectors were afraid to actually do their jobs because of the reciprocity they received from their own people. So they'd, they'd auction off the position to the highest bidder. And when they auctioned off the highest bidder, that person would pay a lot for that position. And how they would make it back is they would overcharge people. And it was a very lucrative spot to get. But they would charge people extra so that they could make some money on the side. And, and as long as... They kept the peace with the people and they kept the balance of things. Then tax collectors ended up getting very, very rich off the backs of the people. So he tells them, don't collect more than you're authorized to do. He doesn't tell them to quit. He tells them to work ethically. Work in a way that's mindful of the people you're serving. Work in a way that's mindful of the people you're interacting with and treat them with fairness. Treat them like God treats you. Stop stealing. Stop taking advantage of other people. And that would have been a dramatic, shocking change to see in a tax collector. If you knew a tax collector and you saw that they were no longer taking more, and they were like, hey, last month I took $300 from you. This month I only need $50. You're like, what happened? Well, I, I realized that I needed to repent and trust in God. You know what happened when, when Jesus encountered Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus, he was, he was looking for the king. 
He was saying he wanted the king to come, but evidence of true repentance in Zacchaeus' life in Luke 19, we're going to see this a little later, is that when Zacchaeus encounters the king, when he hears the message of the king, he repents, and that repentance is immediately seen in bearing fruit. This tax collector, he then he says, he says, Lord, half the good by goods I'm going to give to the poor, and if I have frauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Jesus' response to him, he says, today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. Zacchaeus was already a Jew. He says, no, 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 being a, a son of Abraham, it's evidenced in repentance that bears fruit. And fruit that really results in real change. The soldiers, they went to him too, and, and, and soldiers were notorious for threatening people, saying, I'll keep you safe if you pay me a little bit of money. Or, hey, if you don't pay me money, I'm going to turn you over. And so they would threaten and extort. And he says, soldiers, don't do that. Don't use people for your good. Don't use people to benefit from them personally. You treat them with respect and with dignity. You protect people without cost. Be happy with your own wages. It was a radical message. The people were totally astounded. And John spoke with such prophetic power and with such conviction that, that they responded and, and they wondered, is this one the Christ? Could John be the Christ? And they're wondering that in their hearts. And, and I love that Luke doesn't say that John heard that. He just says John answered the wondering of their hearts because the Holy Spirit inspired John. And John tells them, he says, no, the, the, this news I'm preaching is really only good news because there's a Christ who's coming and he's mightier than me. And he uses some terminology, he says, who's, who's the, the straps of his the sandal thongs, I'm not worthy to untie. You see, there was a Jewish teaching that Students of rabbis, they were required to do everything a slave would do for a master, but there was one thing that was beneath anyone but a slave, and that was untying somebody's sandals, because sandals would get stinky and sweaty and dirty and foul and nasty, and so no one wanted to go near anybody else's feet. That would be only something a servant might do. And, and so John says, though, I'm not even worthy to do that. See, John saw his place. He saw that he too needed the Messiah. He wasn't worthy of the Messiah. He was a messenger to herald the Messiah. But just as much as they did, he was not worthy. And he says, I'm going to baptize you with water. I'm, I'm going to call you to conviction and to repentance. But when the king comes, he's going to do something I could never do. He's mightier than me for so many ways, for so many reasons. But the real reason he's mightier than me is that I can only talk about your need to be made clean. He will actually make you alive. He'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit. He'll give you the very Holy Spirit of God. Now what that requires, and any good Jew would know, that it's impossible for God's presence to dwell with a sinful people. They couldn't even go into the Holy of Holies as a people. They had to have a representative go on their behalf. And, and now John's saying that something astounding is going to happen when the king comes. He's going to make you clean. He's going to purify you of fire. And so he's going to make you clean so that you can receive God's very Holy Spirit. You're going to be made alive and brought back into his presence again. 
what John's really communicating, what Luke's wanting us to see is this, this main idea really of this whole entire passage is that, that the king, he, he brings real regeneration and cleansing. The king, oh, he's the one who comes. The king, when he comes, get ready because he brings real regeneration and cleansing for, for all who truly repent and, and look to him. John wasn't the Messiah, but he was pointing to the fact that there was one coming. It's really this, this main idea that we're meant to see, and you can put that up on the overheads, is, is that the king brings real regeneration and cleansing for, for all who repent and believe in him. He talks about the Messiah coming to baptize us with the Holy Spirit and with fire. That's what's needed. The, the, the king needs to come and he needs to baptize us with his Holy Spirit and with fire. What he's talking about is the fact that all of us are in need of, of his purifying fire. It's, it's baptism and with fire. That's how he's coming. Now, for all who is friends, that's really good news. And all those who repent, that's really good news. All those who do not, it's really, really bad news. And John talks about this. He says, when he comes, it's going to be good news for those who are wheat, those who bear fruit in keeping with repentance, those whose hearts reveal that they want the king, they're bearing fruit for the king. But those who don't bear real fruit for the king, who are only a, a, a husk, chaff, they're going to be thrown away. And he gives this picture. Now, in many storybooks, when the devil is depicted, he's the one with the pitchfork. John says something different for us. He says, Jesus has got this pitchfork. And he says, his winnowing fork is in his hand. And he's going to clear the threshing floor. When that great day of harvest comes, he's going to sort out who belongs to him and who doesn't. And all those who, who bear fruit and keep him with repentance, all those who demonstrate that they receive the king, they've been made alive by him, and, and because of that, they bear fruit. That's like the wheat that when he throws into the air, the wind's going to blow, the wheat falls right to the ground, but he says the chaff and the straw blow away, and that will be taken up and burned in the fire. And look what he says about the fire in verse 17. It's an unquenchable fire. It's a very vivid imagery. This is not light and fluffy gospel message. He says you're either chaff or you're wheat. You either bear fruit that demonstrates you belong to the king, that you've responded to him or you don't. And if you don't bear fruit, he's not going to be like, okay, I'm, I'm good with your pedigree. I'm good with your externals. He says, no, I, he's going to take you and throw you into a fire that never goes out. Today, people might tell John, you're not being very loving. Gee, John, you're not, not leaving a lot of options, are you? Gee, John, I, I thought we could just define ourselves, live how we want. But, John, you're saying that's not enough. We can't do that. What about people it's hard for? What about when it's costly? And then get this, in verse 18, look down your Bibles in verse 18. He's just given them a really hard message. 
but it's a really good message. He says in verse 18, so with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. He's telling them, repent, and your repentance is going to be seen in bearing fruit, and, and real fruit is going to be seen. And by the way, we, we prepare for the coming of the king by demonstrating repentance and belief in him. When the king comes, though, here's the good news. He will judge all evil. That is good news. He's going to do away with all evil. He's going to do away with everyone who opposes him. But here's the other part of the good news. He gives his Holy Spirit. He makes alive. When the king comes, he, he brings new life. And he also purifies. And that's really good news. I don't want to be stuck in my sin. I don't, want to be, I don't want to be still stuck where I'm at today, five years from now. Thanks be to God that, that I can look back and see that there, there's been growth. It's, it's been bumpy. It's been up and down. It's the illustration, I think, is very apt of sanctification, our growth in him, our being made right. It's of, you know, God's like holding us like a yo-yo walking up the steps. And from our perspective, we go up and down, up and down, but yet he's making progress with us. And, and by God's grace, that's what he does. He purifies if you are in him, if you've been made alive by the Spirit, you will evidence that purifying fire. But not all do. So this is, a, this is a, a warning message to prepare for the coming of the king. But it's also written to, I think who Luke wrote it to was a believer. For him to have hope and see what he had heard was really real and trustworthy. But you know, it, preparing for the king, it doesn't end with us becoming a believer and being baptized in the Holy Spirit, which is given to each and every person who puts their faith in him, has been born again, has been given the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but it doesn't end with that. You see that we need to continue to grow, we need to continue to be filled with the Spirit, we need to continue to be purified, we need to continue to make a way, because there are many ways in our lives where we are still not responding to him. And there's many ways in my own life I'm aware that I've experienced conviction. I'm like, oh, I, am I really responding? Am I really repentant in this area? And the reason why a message like this is good news is because when Jesus comes, he's not coming, he's coming to set us free. He wants you to be set free from sins. He wants us to repent. And that's actually a continuous pattern of the Christian life is repent is when we see sins, not ignoring them, pretending we don't have them, it's actually getting them out in the open, confessing them, talking about them. Why? So we can be set free. Letting people think they can live for themselves is bad news. The worst news we could ever buy into is that we're okay on our own. The most damaging news we could ever give to somebody else is that you know, you're completely accepted in God just like you are. It's terrible news to say that repentance doesn't require changing who you are. It's terrible news to say that repentance doesn't require changing your motives or how you act. It just means believing in God, living how you want. That's damning news. But in the end, it's good news for all those who respond. Because he gives the assurance baptizing with his spirit and purifying fire. But that message isn't popular. 
It wasn't popular in John's day, that's for sure. John got in a lot of trouble. And he kept telling this guy named Herod, who was a tetrarch, one of the, the rulers of the area of Judea, and he kept telling him all the different things he'd done wrong, and yet Herod kind of got fed up with him because Herod had divorced his own wife. He had asked his brother's wife to divorce her husband, who was actually his stepbrother. It was a really convoluted, incestuous thing. She was related to Herod, too. And John, he corrected him. John wasn't just being a jerk. But John wasn't afraid to give Herod the news he needed so that Herod could repent. And so John actually gave this message about preparing for the coming of the king to the person who was the king at the time. He wasn't worried about what the world or Herod might do to him. I wonder how we are preparing for the king. Are we preparing other people to receive the king? I wonder what John would think about people who are more concerned with what other people think of them. When they have far lesser consequences, like just maybe being rejected or ridiculed or mocked or being blocked. Or maybe just fired in your job. You see, John was living for a bigger, higher purpose because he was living for the coming of the king because when the king comes, he makes everything new. John's whole life was to point to Christ because that's where his hope was. You know, when, when he makes us, when God makes us alive, that he gives us that same mission to point to Christ, to tell people of Christ, to call people to repent. Why? Not because we fix people, John didn't fix anybody, we don't change people, but because we want to introduce them to the one who can change them and bring new life and give them the spirit and make new. And here's the thing, if you're bearing good fruit, you're going to be gathered into his barn. You're going to be gathered with Jesus. Meanwhile, the question for us is, have we prepared for the king? Have you responded to the king to begin with? And if you have, are you, are you preparing for him to come back? Are you helping prepare others to receive the king? If he has been received by you, then you've been given the Holy Spirit. And here's the wonderful privilege we have. He empowers us now to live a life of repentance. And he makes us pure. He's forgiven us. He's, the, the king does what John could not do. The king brings purification. He brings repentance. He bring, I mean, he brings the fruits of repentance. He brings new life. Are we making our way for him every day in our lives? Are you living a life that's in keeping with repentance? Are you pointing to the king? Are you making your life and your mission about him? Here's the thing. The king has come. The lion of the tribe of Judah has returned. He has defeated the devil. He's defeated our own sins. He's, he's, he's come to breathe new life in us. And he purifies He's not tame, but he is good. Let's pray. Father, we, we come to you, and we are not worthy on our own. But Jesus, thank you that you come and you make us worthy. 
You make us worthy to come into your presence by purifying us from our sins. You came to take all of our sins on yourself, to pay the penalty for our sins. You came to remove God's wrath so that we're not burned. You came to make us alive and you came to give us your righteousness and your holiness so that we can have your Holy Spirit and and have your very presence with us all the time. Thank you for that. God, I pray that we would live in the good of that. God, I pray that we would make our lives about preparing for your return. In your name we pray, amen. Let's stand and sing.